what's happening everybody and welcome back to another episode of rapping with reef bomb i'm your host keith Berkelheimer. so today i have the pleasure of welcoming anya noroski from gallery aquatica what's up anya how you doing hey g'day how's it going going great today thank you yes uh, anya is uh coming to us live from down under in Brisbane, Australia. So it's a Friday morning. Happy Friday there to you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Just uh, had my first coffee. I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I love how you pronounce Brisbane. That was commendable. Uh, <laughs> most people say Brisbane. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I did my homework there, Anya. I did my homework and, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to make sure I pronounced your last name correctly. Even you, you kind of, you know, you got a tricky first name there. But, uh, you know, my last name is is uh, crazy bad. So I, I'm very diligent about trying to pronounce people's uh, names uh, correctly. But, um, yeah, you got the coffee going. I, I was thinking about a beer, but I was like, you know, if I'm drinking a beer and you're drinking coffee, I'm going to make you kind of, like, feel bad. So um, just drinking my water. Uh, if I were you at 7 p.m., I would be having a, a vodka, but very close. I mean, I thought about it. I thought about it because uh, I am a little nervous, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <Be> a little <laughs> bracer. <laughs> I'm going to go to work after this, so um, probably best I don't turn up. Tipsy. Yeah, no, you don't want to do that. No, it's uh, what 10 a.m. Uh, Friday morning there. So um, anyway, so so Gallery Aquatica is a, a marine aquarium store, a local fish store in Brisbane, Australia, and, and Anya is one of the uh, the co-owners. Co-owners. So before we start chatting, though, I want to thank the sponsors for the show, both Folk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate them um, supporting the show, and I also appreciate you folks out there that are tuning in. I see there's a number of you joining the uh, live stream. Please don't forget to hit that uh, like button. We got almost 50 people joining us right now, and only 15 likes. Let's get that up a little bit. Also, uh, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to the channel. And as always, we encourage comments and questions in the live stream. We're going to just kind of have a little conversation here with Anya. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll kind of go back and forth in terms of what uh, what you folks are saying in the uh, in the chat. Um, Sandy, thanks. Yep, um, I appreciate that. So, Anya, how did it uh, how did it all start for you in this uh, this reef keeping hobby, this journey? What um, how long have you been in, it and how did it all get uh, going for you? Sure, um, that's a great question, Keith. Uh, so uh, we always had aquariums in our house. Um, it's my dad who really inspired me to be so fascinated with, you know, keeping that ecosystem in a glass box. Um, every uh, every Friday we would uh, drop my mother off at um, to get the groceries and me and dad would go to the local fish store. And my dad, he is, um, you know, <laughs> So uh, stereotypically Euro, um, so we're Polish and uh, actually half Russian too. Uh, so my dad would go to the shop and buy every single fish and just jam all these different <laughs> species together. And the, and the elephant owner, I remember him going, but sir, you know, they're Siamese fighting fish. And he'd be like, no, 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 I want 20. You give me 20. I want 20. You know, and so just had this like crazy mix of different species all together and uh you know not 
not long after I became one of those purists, you know, where you had to have everything matching from the same location. Mm. Anyway, so uh, eventually um, all these fish that weren't getting along caused us to require more and more aquariums because, you know, X would fight with Z. And uh, fast forwarding, uh, as soon as I finished high school, uh, I went to university and I did a, I ended up doing a triple uh, major in a bachelor of science with marine biology in there too. Um, even though I actually had aspired to be a herptologist because I absolutely was into very heavily into reptiles then too. Uh, so um, I got this job um, just over 20 years ago um, in this giant aquarium store, which um, had both marine and, and freshwater and they were importing fish on a, a ginormous scale, which, um, you know, we used to just sell multiple setups a day um, and, my boss then was giving us, you know, a 50% discount, mm. which in my university, um, uh, you know, w very, I had just no money. Um, <laughs> so that was really helpful. And I quickly, very quickly um, had 10 tanks, then 20. And I, I capped myself, well, actually, yeah, I was capped at 30 aquariums. And uh, the... The first marine tank was actually at that store. I worked there for 10 years in the end. And mm. this, so it would have been about 2001 uh, when I had my first saltwater tank. Uh, and it had sprung from um, this little kid, this dad, this father had dragged this little boy in, you know, by the scrub of the neck. And he wanted, he had collected a, an Antenarius striata frogfish on the jetty, like just uh, on the canal where they lived in, on the Gold Coast. And um, he wanted me to tell the little boy that he wasn't able to keep this fish in a lunchbox. And, you know, uh, <laughs> anyway, so I, uh, it was adorable. It was jet black and, you know, like quarter of an inch or something. And, um so I, I tested the salinity and so in the end he ended up, um, you know, giving it to us to to sell or to, you know, to, because we couldn't put it back. That's the law in Australia. When you've removed something, you can't put yeah. it back. So I set up this tank and uh, the salinity was actually very low. Uh, specific gravity was what I was measuring there. This was 1.014. Mm. Um, so I set up this brackish tank and my frog ended up growing you know, enormous. And so then he, he got his own three footer and very quickly after, um, I had one of the clients that, uh, was getting rid of his brand new, like six by two apple green two pack, um, giant reef tank. Wow. And he hadn't even wet it yet. I think it was, it was, it felt brand, brand new. Wow. So, and it was had like the, the rotating spray arm um, on the in, over the sump and um, metal halides, of course, and um, and I had that in my in my bedroom. It was huge. How big, how big, was, how big was this tank? A six by two by eight hundred high, uh, eight hundred centimeters. I don't know what that. Sorry, by two and a half, right. just over two and a half high. Sounds big. Uh, yeah, it was big as a first go. <laughs> Um, and I was, you know, obviously I had good connections when it came to livestock. Um, so, and back then coral was actually harvested with live rock. So you would buy mm. this chunk of rock with, you know, corals 
um, because the, the quota system was completely different than in Australia. So we got, you know, every kind of pest you could imagine, um, which back then you would kind of like really baby every little creature, um, much such a different perception now with all the clean, um, sustainably made, you know, rock. So, yeah, um, basically fast forward that again because uh, that was over, that was 20 years ago. Uh, and so I met Cameron at an aquarium store that we had, we were both working at here in Brisbane. And um, I really liked his philosophy on everything. And, you know, I, of course, you know, I, I'm dating him. So I'm, I was attracted to him. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the thing was then all the LFS were kind of getting swallowed by these giant big box stores, yeah. you know, all the little mum and pop, you know, these beautiful little shops that we'd all grown up going to um, were just being swallowed up and it was really upsetting. And the one thing about our version of the, that Petco kind of style chain store is that they don't do marine. And right. so irrespective of the fact that we were heavily involved in the freshwater scene and Cameron was like breeding stingrays and his, the whole shed was just freshwater fish. He did have one giant uh, saltwater tank in there. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we decided no one's doing saltwater right. Not many people are doing saltwater right. Not many people are really pushing sustainability. Um, there were no frags in stores then. Uh, you really just didn't see that. I'm, I'm certain people were propagating coral, but it was very limited to see the porcelain and small and everything being so small as it is today. And so we were very fortunate um, very early on to have Jake um, notice us. Uh, I, I wish I even could pinpoint how that began, but uh, he definitely played a crux role in um, our reputation in the industry. Jake Adams. And Yes, yes. And he uh, fast became a very good friend. And uh, he stayed on, on our couch, on the couch I'm sitting on. Uh, he, he slept here. Um, and we, we were, you know, of course, so privileged to have him visit. And, uh, and he really kind of helped us get that exposure, which um, set us apart. And we are the only retail store in Australia that I know of that um, specifically uh, sells sustainably sourced fish, certified sustainably sourced fish. So our Wenham store only has Australian collected fish because they're covered by uh, uh, comprehensive management protocols with uh, the way that, that they are collected. And at first we thought this is a really silly idea. We want yellow tangs. I miss mandarin fish. Haven't seen a yellow coral goby in a long time, you know. But eventually um, it became very clear that we'd made a, a sound, solid decision there um, because we just, it's so breezy, easy looking after the fish. There's no diseases and no, no problems. And um, I don't mean a waffle. Am I waffle? No, no, no. <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to mention something. You, you, you mentioned Jake Adams. And um, so that's that's how I got to you because... Jake was like, sort of like my my show booker. He he was always like DMing me and like saying you got to have this person on, you got to have that person on. And and he uh, and he also said, you know, he mentioned your name. And um, 
he said you were the most knowledgeable female reefer that he had ever known. So that you know, oh, yeah, that, th oh. those were his words um, in a DM yeah. to me. So um, yeah, it um, he uh, so yeah, he was uh, that's that's how I kind of found you was through uh, with through Jake. But I I've also seen you before, and in fact, I was um, I, I I I found a video that you had done fragging Ganiapora. And, um, I, I basically, that was kind of like my, my, um, you know, the way I learned how to frag Ghanis was through a video that you had done. And I know we're, we're going to get into that whole discussion in terms of, uh, fragging. Somebody's already asking me to ask you about the, uh, the chalice, uh, frag experiment. So, um, Bert Minshew. So we'll, uh, we'll get into all that stuff. So, uh, I'm sorry. I, I kind of wandered there. Um, I want to ask the viewers yes. one question, though. I, I, I'm seeing like an error in my live stream on YouTube. I'm, I'm assuming that everything is uh, coming through okay. I still see comments coming through. and So if you guys have any problems in terms of audio and video, just um, drop that in the, uh, in the comments. But I think we're good. I think we're good. Just getting a, an error that I haven't seen before. So I think we're, uh, I think we're good there, Anya. Um, I was really lucky. Um, in 2016, I went to Macna in San Diego, um, and it was just yes, such, such a mind-blowing experience um, being able to witness firsthand what American-style reefing shows are all about. And uh, I believe that also was very helpful for me to, to have met so many of these great names, published authors that are just clogging up our bookshelf you know and uh, um i'm just very very lucky i think um but one thing i noticed when we came back when we, i came from the airport um to the shop and all the giant colonies we seem to have because it, i was i was so used to um that two whole weeks we did a lot of tours at wholesalers we went to sea dwelling creatures and unique corals and um, Makna, and we also went to Vegas. We went to a lot of LFS around there, wow. and um, we—I couldn't believe it was such a shock to me to come back and just see these giant colonies. But now, you know, five years later or whatever it is, a bit more—that's um, what our stores look like. It's what all the stores kind of look like, and it's interesting. We've always said in Australian reefing that we're five years behind the US, <laughs> and I find that hard to believe. Really <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I guess you always think the grass is greener, right? No yeah. Well, let's um, well, let's talk about that. You know, um, let's let's talk about what you see in terms of the differences between Australian reef keepers or reef keeping versus uh, reef keepers in the United States. So you you, you talked about the uh, the larger colonies versus uh, frag. So that's that's certainly one thing, right? Here in the U.S., we're uh, we're much more into the frag stuff than than you guys. But it seems like that's um that's something that you're seeing a lot more. You're catching up. Yeah, um, I definitely think because the population is so much larger, you know, uh, there's a lot more space there for innovation. And I guess uh, the hobbyists in, in the US um, being able to kind of get get those the most beautiful corals, grow them in captivity, obviously the most beautiful ones get fragged and shared the most. And so these really resilient stunning colonies are easily shared um, where in Australia we it's fascinating that we we're able to have we have a direct supply chain link to the diver who's collecting our corals 
And so we can chat with them every week and we can say, you know, we're looking for this or they tell us, well, this chalice was found sideways on uh, 15 metres down um, under a bommy, you know, and, um, and they can really describe a lot of uh, the origin of each piece as well. And one thing I've always loved about Keeping Coral is that backstory. Yeah. Um, so that adds this additional element when you're selling the corals. Um, you can say, hey, well, you know, this one was actually found um, under these conditions and, and it really blows people's minds. But we're also very, um, we're, we're privileged to have that information, I guess, given um the way that you guys can get Australian coral in Australia, uh, from sorry, in the US, it's it's got it's exchanging a number of hands often um, before the end user receives it, um, uh, and we uh, we really have begun intensifying the fragging. Uh, our our state of Queensland has the Great Barrier Reef, of course, and it's uh, you know the most famous reef in the world. We're very fortunate. Um, it's literally, you know, on our on our doorstep, and just under it, which is where Brisbane is, uh, is Moreton Bay, and a lot of the corals that the LPS corals are from just above us. Um, so maybe a few hour drive is where they they set out diving in Mackay and Bundaberg area, and that's where all the like um, Homophilia, um, the Micromusa, uh, Hammers, you know, um, a lot of Fimbriophilia in awesome colors come from. Uh, and so um, my role is very heavily based on the coral curation and propagation uh, and shipping. And so every week I, it's very important for me to check the weather because I need to know what part of Australia um, the corals are gonna be available this coming week given uh, they need good boating weather, no rainfall, no wind, uh, under 25 knots to get the boats out and then uh, and they also need to actually physically be out there so I know where to kind of reserve the budget um, and because around Australia around in north um, around the Northern Territory there is a very unique array of coral there it's the only place that we can get branching um, hammers for example mm. clams are very prolific there um, there are um, the Christmas tree worms all come from there. And occasionally I'm feeling like maybe um, the coral is settling from Indo there. So you get like some really rare, a lot of gold and orange pieces. And why this is so relevant to us is, of course, because Australia has such stri strict um, importation laws that don't allow us to get any invertebrates or coral from overseas. Right. Um, and so the one huge difference, you know, five, seven years ago that we could notice was like, how much are your red BTAs? $20, $30? What? You know, ours were $800. Um, yeah. And even um, as a great example, yesterday we got our first pair of harlequin shrimp and um, I heard they're like $40 over there, right? Um, so this pair uh, sold yesterday for $2,000. What? Two thousand bucks for a, har a pair of harlequin shrimp. Whoa! Yeah, that was right, and it's a real thing. Um, wow. It's a real huge difference because we can't import invertebrates. And like when I went to Cedar Valley Creatures, I saw a, a just rows and rows and rows and rows of blood shrimp, which are three hundred here. Um, Redline cleaner shrimp, which are two twenty. 
you know, huge. Like, and yeah. And, um, and so you always hear that from Australian reefers or so why, why aren't the prices like there? But, but I'm sure I'm certain that some of our locally collected corals, um, you know, because they don't ha- we don't have to justify the exportation freight and things. Um, some of our prices are no doubt lower than what you see over there too. Um, and the pieces are larger. So that's a big, big difference. So um, can you can you give us a little bit of a lesson in terms of why uh, Australia is not allowing any imports of corals? Um, is, that, actually, is, that a, is that a is that a loaded question? I mean, is that like is there a whole uh, saga behind this in terms of uh, why that's the case? No, I won't waffle through that answer. I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think um, the border security is so stringent because uh, the seafood industry, Australia relies so heavily on the seafood industry. And uh, like even to obtain a mariculture permit in Australia is incredibly difficult. Um, in Queensland, because of the Great Barrier Reef and the way that lava, larval um, movements, you know, like the seagrass, the mangroves, it's all protected. It's only been a handful of years since we've been allowed to legally obtain a mangrove, to be mm. honest. We're still not allowed to collect any macroalgae. Um, and so you don't see those beautiful, like, planted marine tanks like you do see in the US unless sometimes algae will come on the bottom of a coral and on a bit of rock. And so then if you, you clean up crew doesn't destroy it, of course, you can preserve it. Um, but it's few and far between. Um so it's all heavily protected and even each state has its own uh, special, very strict quarantine laws. I believe like Western Australia um, is one of the most stringent, uh, like even when I send coral or fish to WA, um, we have to apply for a permit from their government as it's called a pre-approval release, um, you know, and same with Tasmania, the little island at the bottom of us. And uh, it's it's because... The, if something were to, um, some sort of disease Get or, or, you know, yeah. something unknown or a hitchhiker. Of, but I've always thought, though, I mean, what person is really going to put something from their aquarium back in the ocean, you know, but I guess it's... it's well, I guess so I guess where you're at, that's uh, that's certainly a possibility. If somebody wants to like break down a tank and they've got a whole bunch of uh, corals and fish in there, and and uh, you know they're having problems getting rid of it, then you got the ocean right there. It's really our responsibility as an LFS to uh, take on every part of you know we have a rehoming policy, um, and I feel very strongly that every LFS should be there to assist with that um even if you don't offer them credit for that unwanted livestock uh, i think it's it's important to give hobbyists uh, that avenue and it's part of um why we started the prop room which uh actually jake named that we used to call it the fish room but it didn't really have a lot of fish and uh we call it the shed and uh, you know, he said, this isn't a shed, this is the prop room. And um, so we called it the prop room ever since. And that's where we propagate and grow out all the corals, which is currently being renovated. So I can't show you. Um, it's in shambles currently. <laughs> um, and I'm sure, I'm sure sorry. we as reef keepers would appreciate it, but um, I understand. 
it's a mess. I mean, mid next year is when I'm hoping to film and the next frag files, like, and I'm being really positive about that. Um, you got, you got some but, definite kudos in the, uh, in the chat here for your videos. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> That's for gallery Aquatica guys. TV for those folks that don't know yeah. about it on YouTube. Um, yeah. should we watch, uh, um, should, sorry, I don't know what I was answering there. Um, another huge difference is our natural seawater that, the fact that 95%, I feel, at least of our clients, are using natural seawater. And you really... So I found, using natural seawater uh, in terms of for water changes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I didn't realize that that was unique um, until I went to the U.S. and I spoke to people and they're like, what, like from the ocean? Should I show the, uh, should I show the video of the van? I think you got a van. And then there's also the, um, the, the vehicle that yeah. has the, uh, that you use to transport oh, yeah, the salt, yeah. right? I, I popped that on the end of, that was my test video. Uh, oh. I popped that on the end of our shop video, if that helps at all. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm showing the short video of the, uh, with the van. And then I think also the, uh, you've oh, cool. got the, yeah. uh, the vehicle. Uh, so this one is a consultation van uh, that uh, uh, Ryan uh, and Cameron, I guess, are driving at the moment to do on-road on, on consultations. We have a lot of facets to our company and this is our beautiful truck. And so we collect, we can collect up to 8,000 litres of natural seawater, which is about 4,000 gallons with this. Um, and really we're just regulated uh, with... The weather patterns, uh, this has been a La Nina year, so it's been very difficult um, to kind of flit around uh, the, the rainfall to collect the water. And we get it, uh, we have 40,000 litres of storage capacity, so we get it batch tested with the Triton ICP. And it always comes in perfect, you know, it's absolutely perfect. Occasionally a little lower with, after a heavy rainfall, um, a little lower in some of the foundation elements, but uh, otherwise, it's it's just so th perfect. this is like a this is like a, a service or a product. So would you actually have uh, like five gallon buckets of this, uh, you know, sea uh, salt water in the store, or would you pretty much use that truck to go to people's homes and um, just offload the water that way? Uh, both, oh. both. Uh, so at both the stores, we have a second store now too, um, and both our stores have like 2,000 litres of storage capacity for salt water. So the truck will fill up the shop's uh, water and then we just have it on tap. So clients are coming in with drums um, and it's 25 cents a litre. That is so cool. And, <laughs> yeah, and, so, and we sell RODI in much the same way, same price. Um, if you do so choose, you know, people need it for evaporation and top ups, but, um, yeah. And so people just line up all day long with their drums at either the RO or the natural seawater taps and some regular clients fill it themselves. Cause we, we can get really busy in that little room. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, you, well, you know, what you guys should do, you should, you should, um, you should create some like, um, you know, like a gas station, like gas pumps. Have uh, yes. sea salt water pumps. People just pull right up. <laughs> Most definitely. We've always uh, been looking to upgrade the location of the Wynnum store because it is just so pokey and uh, it's very convenient. I mean, it's just 400 meters down the road um, from our house, but um, there was for a while an old petrol station that was up uh, for sale 
it was a couple of million dollars, so we didn't yeah. get it, of course. But it would have been so cool to like drive in and pump your water, <laughs> your old existing kind of bowsers and things. There, it was. It would have been awesome. Uh, yeah, that that would be that would be great. Uh, so we we certified that the seawater is perfect. Um, through the through we, the, we through the trident. Oh yeah, yeah, through to the ICP. Yep. Um, however, as like an indicator, just an easy one on, on in situ, we do actually have the spin test machine, um, just to give us a, a very broad um, look at the parameters. Uh, but uh, the guys, so we have uh, truck drivers that uh, Rory and Cameron have their truck license, and so do you guys call them trucks? I feel like you might yeah. call it a truck. Yeah, truck. Truck. Yeah. Utes are trucks there, right? Anyway, um, so they test the uh, salinity and the phosphate. And because, of course, if, if there's been extensive rainfall, the phosphate will be the runoff that's yeah. coming from the farmland and everything. Um, we're either collecting off the Gold Coast, which uh, is south, or the Sunshine Coast, which is north. And Brisbane is the city in between the two cities. Um, and so that allows that collection distance also allows them to deliver in bulk. And so you get, it's very cheap. I think it's, it, it's a hundred dollars or so for a thousand liters delivered. Oh. Um, and so most people have an IBC and they get discounts if they get 2000 or 5,000 or the full load, as they call it, gets cheaper and cheaper. Um, and you know, we, we supply water to a lot of um, like aquaculture facilities or um, some, of the, some of our wholesalers will um, will take the water and then uh, it's quite cool because we get to buy their stock and we kind of exchange services there, nice. which is great. So, so is this yeah. like a common thing in, in Australia, like local fish stores selling actual seawater or are you guys unique in that regard? No, no, no. It's, it's really the done thing. I mean, I think... There may be a handful that push salt sales, um, bucket salt sales, and of course there are pros and cons each way. Um, I could sell either um, as a sales pitch kind of from a sales pitch standpoint, but um, I guess there are some like some people are heavily invested in bucket salt yeah. um, as store owners, and so they push that. Um, it's it's great that we have the choice is the main the main thing to take home there but um, I mean it gets filtered and because it goes into the storage is no risk of any parasites um, so I think there's there's really very little cons to using uh, certified quality grade natural seawater yeah. you may get beneficial bacteria I don't know about phytoplankton and things like that but it's possible. Um, but you just see this ultimate difference, this huge difference between water change. And so a lot of clients that Cameron sees have historically kind of just said, do a giant change. And he will do an 80% water change with the seawater. Wow. And all the time, like so many people do this and their corals just look amazing, you know, and the mm. difference is so evident. And so Triton, um, the Triton method has, you know, hit Australia by storm in the past few years. And that's really been such a new concept to uh, Aussie reefers to have um, like this no water change kind of option. Um, and when you talk to Isan, and I know you've, you have talked to Isan, um, 
you know, he's like, why would you just change the water? Why don't you just add what you need, you know? Um, and I can understand that coming from, he was once in Germany where they don't have that access, but um, our clients have that choice. And they say, you know, if things are really that bad, I can either spend $57 on supplementation to correct it, or I could just do a 60% water change and that will dilute back to perfect conditions. So, um, so yeah. even with the uh, even with corals consuming whatever in, in the system in terms of traces or, or other um, you know elements that uh, they're consuming, there's if you're doing the whole natural seawater water change deal, you don't really have to worry about supplementation at all in terms of different uh, traces. Oh no, I certainly think that you need to you're still supplementing and dosing. I mean the the uptake it's really dependent on people's coral communities, yeah. um, but. And I guess how often they do those water changes too. I mean, some people are just doing like 10% a week just for good measure. Um, other people are following the system where when my nitrates over five, I do a water change, which I think is quite logical. Um, uh, otherwise, um, it, yeah, it depends on the goal, the end goal. Why are you water changing? What's, what's, right. What do you want out of it? Yep. Um, however, I, I'm a really big advocate of... Uh, at least weekly testing and, and dosing. Just be aware of what's going on in there um, because unless you've got a pure octocoral octo setup, you know, just softies, uh, you really are going to find that draw is, is a reality that you have to compensate for. How, how often do you guys do ICP testing at the store? Uh, I'd probably say once a month. Um, we, I guess we get away with doing it minimally because we're batch testing the seawater yeah. that we're using to do water changes with. So um, as long as it's all green lamp on that end, and like we send the sample away on Monday and we have results Thursday, you know, so it's very, very fast. Yeah. Whereas when they were based in Germany, we did really, um, we didn't have, you know, have that advantage, I guess, of time behind us. Um, it's still relevant to find out even if it takes you a week sometimes, but, or two weeks, but uh, yeah, we're very lucky now that they're just up in Cairns, just um, on the Great Barrier Reef, actually. Yep. Yeah. I've asked um, a few of my guests this question. What what um, what elements do you really pay attention to when you get those ICP tests back? You know, what uh, what, what, oh. what are like some of your um, things that when elements? What's, what's that? <laughs> my favorite yeah, elements. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I uh, so I'm a really big advocate of potassium of having an elevated level of potassium. Um, what uh, what would you say is elevated, up over 400? Uh, so the, as an example, I think the average natural seawater value is 380 to 400 parts per million. And really um, what I like visually when I look at particularly SPS corals is 450, even, even bridging on 500. Mm. And it... Initially, it was like you'd you'd see the you'd observe it, and then you'd think, is that a coincidence that everything just looks better right now, or not? And then it just consistently, when it was four fifty or higher, the I, I would use blue as the color blue as an indicator for potassium level because I mean it's twenty minute test, like not everyone's got that time, right? Yeah. Uh, that's pre pre ICP testing, so. Um, what it really is, it, the blue looks bluer, but every color actually looks better. Um, 
because when when green is brighter, red looks brighter, and and you know, and so each color pigment is really contrasting the other. Um, but the blue pigment seemed to have like the fastest response, and I was like guzzling like glugging the potassium in like you know and then the neck like I'd be like that blue stag's just not you know blue enough and then I I, I became really heavy-handed with it which is <laughs> stupid but you know working. I'm just being and, you know the next day it was just like ah, like this prominent so, so you guys don't have any organ blue torts you you can't have any of those uh, man that is no, the bluest no. acro I've ever seen in my life I mean you know I'm, I'm sure I've <laughs> Oregon blue means it came from Oregon. Is that right? Well, that's uh, that's the backstory in terms of, uh, I guess, the where the, the local fish store where it came through. Yeah. So um, there's yeah, there's a whole story behind that. But uh, all right, go ahead. I, like I interrupted you. No, no, it's fine. Um, so potassium's a big one, <laughs> um, and it was funny because the second time I got to go to Macna, which um, that was Macna Vegas, right? So I think it was 2018. I had, um, I had all these expert, you know, amazing people at uh, right in front of me, and so I was able to chat with uh, different people about my elevated potassium theory. And one said that its role is it plays a role in the bacteria that lives within the coral slime, and when the bacteria is happy, the pigment glows brighter. So oh. that was. You know, I was like, okay. And then somebody else said that it, it's also uh, relevant in, in bacteria, but it's um, it stimulates the pigments in a way that it doesn't just it doesn't just do blue. But like I said, when one color is bright, they all kind of co complement each other. And it was interesting that each person I spoke to had their own theory as to why my observations were valid. And then Sanjay actually had a speech at our Australian reef stock and he posted his ICP results and, um, and there it was 500 potassium. Yeah. And I, I just, I was like, Oh my God, even Sanjay is the high potassium. I'm going to ask him that question because both him and uh, Paulette are going to be on next week. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. We'll definitely watch. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, um, there's always we're always learning and uh and we're always trialing things and and you know and i think with the potassium thing uh it, i didn't know why but i i sure as hell knew that i liked the results so i just kept can, doing can it. we get into um, trouble overdosing potassium yes yes you can um uh particularly i think if it's potassium chloride when you have that excessive chloride so okay don't be heavy-handed in my recommendations. I would suggest you test it, find out your number, do the mathematics, work out at a corrective dose, and do it slowly. Mm. Um, I actually personally have not seen any ill effects whatsoever from heavy-handed potassium dosing, but I have seen people comment such. So, um, yes, that, I would say that. The other element I find is consistently low in Australian reef tanks um, across the board is iodine. Yeah. Well, I, and, and the best potassium supplements are actually potassium iodide, right? So just by, you know, elevating the potassium, you're also contributing to that iodide, which is fantastic. So uh, I told you in our 
test chat that uh, we had set up our first soft coral only tank in the living room, which is funny, um, but I'm really loving it. And so is Cameron and our son, and it's just so easy. But the one element I'm dosing on the daily is the coral essentials um, iodide. And uh, I, it's meant to be one drop per hundred liters and I'm doing two drops actually. And our corals just look fantastic. I think I got the idea from Mr. Sprong. the legend himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, in one of the books that he wrote, I swear he's written it somewhere that you could you could drip um, iodine in uh, to a soft coral system nonstop and it would never really be considered overdosing for the coral. Oh, wow. You can really stuff up SPS with uh, elevated iodine. Um, it causes coral bleaching, so yeah, be very that careful. That would not be good. <laughs> no and um the one time the one time i accidentally had an iodine overdose uh we had a combo um montipora rock it had like 12 different types of monty and it was in grow out in the um what we call the zoa system which we actually keep monty in there now so anyway um and when i opened the door to the shop these um the coralomorphs the discosoma were like you know, huge, and all these corals are just beaming. And I'm like, what on earth? I've never seen, like, I've never seen this. And uh, then I rounded the corner and I saw this whole um, Montipora rock was just bleached and a couple mm. of acro frags that I was preserving bleached. Some collateral and, damage. Yeah. And what had happened is we had used Lugols to dip. Mm. I'd been dosing iodine and actually that that, that recent batches of natural seawater were already at the upper wow. recommended limit. And so, you know, it was just that. So I, I did stop using Lugols. Um, and well, now I just bath a bit extra if I do use iodine for dipping. Yeah. We have a couple of folks, uh, Cindy Reef Girl is, um, says her last ICP was 473 for potassium. Paul, our moderator, said that uh, he had uh, 451. So yeah, we've got some folks out there that have got a little elevated. I can't recall off the top of my head what my potassium is uh, is at at this point. I'm pretty sure it's over 400 as well. Um, Amanda Meckley, HCI Aquaculture, 450 to 480. Yeah. 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 There you go. Um, I'm sure it, it, there's many other roles that potassium plays in our in our reef systems, but uh, yeah, I I mean if I next time I get to have a beer with Isan and Julian from Triton, I'll, I'll ask them again what their new thoughts are on the element. Um, I have once begged them to increase their, um, you know, their, their green lamp. Like, don't say 380 is okay. Like, uh, push it up. But that those um, those are based on oceanic averages, and so of course it's quite logical that they have quite a, a wide span of what's acceptable on your ICP. Like, you'll get green all the way up. To 500 or something i think but um but starting at 380 i was like no can we just bump it up a little <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i also am a really big advocate of the um of maintaining a magnesium ratio magnesium uh three times your calcium um 3.1 to 3.4 so uh, there's a range there magnesium to calcium and yeah yep. yeah so uh, this doesn't work well for people that feel they want to keep a very high calcium level because it's it's a nearly unobtainable 
goal to have your magnesium at 1600 or something, you know, yeah. um, but, uh, the the quick fix because you know magnesium is not very concentrated as an element when you're dosing and so you don't want to add like three and a half kilos of mag um just to correct so it's much easier to reduce your calcium down to say 420 440 um and then you can shoot for that 1360 i usually i use a calculator usually of course but um what we see there uh is massive uh, polyp extension uh great coloration uh, particularly in like fimbriophilia, hammers, to, um, hammers and frog spawn, and Montipora actually as well is another indicator there for that ratio. Um, I've actually solved, I feel like our team has solved a number of uh, clients, you know, why doesn't my coral look good questions just by um, having your magnesium in that ratio. But why we say 3.1 to 3.4 is because of the potential error in the test kits. Yeah. Um, I heard that when you have high mag, you're, uh, it could be even 400 parts per million out, which is huge. Um, and so you may believe that you have that higher magnesium. Um, so, yeah, but other LFS in our area, we all kind of came together once at a conference in Cairns and um, like down south with Reef Secrets, which is a good friend of ours. And, and he he's very stickler, like he's like 3.2 or die, you know, um, where 3.2, of course, is in between 3.1 and 3.4, but um, it's just a tip. It's like a hot tip. And um, I believe it's it's enabling um, calcification at the correct kind of, like you're not, in, it's preventing precipitation. So you're also saving money because, of course, the role of magnesium is to hold apart the calcium from binding to the carbonate. Um, and if you don't have enough magnesiums present, they're just going to precipitate. And then you could have this falsified idea of consumption, thinking that yeah. um, because, of course, when we're testing, that that precipitated is not going to come up on our test. It's not bioavailable. So it's really important to have enough mags to, like, hold them apart. I often use a, an analogy um, that... Uh, the, the calcium and carbonates are like kids at a school dance and um, the magnesium's like the bouncer who's like pulling them apart from like, you know, making out. And uh, they, they kind of really want to be together, but like you need enough people, uh, bouncers to like hold them apart so they don't. I've never, yeah. I've never heard it described that way, but that's an awesome way to uh, visualize what your a complicated chemical uh, chemistry type of formula. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Anya, so we've got um, we've got a bunch of people that have some questions in the chat. Let's um, and, a, and a couple of comments, but let's let's do a couple of those, and then maybe we should show the video of your um, your store. Sorry. Yeah, um, interesting one from uh, Amanda Meckley. Um, this is in reference to the difference between American versus Australian uh, reef keeping practices. They don't pull put city uh, put silly names on corals, right? What does uh, what does she think about the names in the states? So we got the uh, the coral name game here in the United States, and and uh, the assumption is you guys don't really do that in Australia, the crazy names, marketing, driving, or is that starting to happen? Question, uh, and really appropriate for me actually, because the first time I did a public uh, speaking presentation at a marine aquarium conference up in Cairns. My topic was um, the name game, do Aussie reefers want to play? 
<laughs> and uh, it was it was fascinating to me back then. I think it was 2016 or so, um, because it allowed having that opportunity allowed me to dive into some research about the history of why naming started in America. Um, and um, there was a, a, a beautiful example where I think the first named zoanthid was pumpkin, some, oh gosh. Um, anyway, something to do with Halloween. Um, and I had, I delved into all these deep, deep dives into these forums, really old files and things where people had started to talk about it a anyway. And so I'm really of the opinion that uh, the names are important to be able to identify it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, like, I really cringe at the concept of we named it something fancy to get more money for it. I know it happens. I got you. But I'm really against that. Like, you have to be realistic that, Zoanthids. There's only a handful of species of zoanthids. Last effect, there was like seven, right? But how many variants are on our rack? 200, mm. you know, and you and I are, diff are the same species, but my name's Anya, you know. I deserve a name because I am an individual and so do you, you know. And um, a really good analogy that I remember using on that speech was um, the, the – um, fruit and vegetable industry, right, or roses or orchids or anything like that which is being cultivated um, in captivity, like you know when you want an apple that you want an apple but you, you there's a Red Delicious, there's a, a Granny Smith and it's really important to, to discern that, right, because the Granny Smith is sour and you need that for the salad whereas the Red, you know, and so on. And I think that... From the perspective of of simply identifying it, um, and and also giving paying some respect to its origin, um, so we don't do that. So we don't do like Gallery Aquatica would be GA, right? We we do not do GA strawberry shortcake. We just say strawberry shortcake. But and I see that a lot in the US, and I understand why that is as well because you're respecting the person who grew it. It became so amazing in their display, and then that person shared it and. I think where the most relevance comes from with these names is people like myself who have a collector mania, you know, problem um, where I need one of everything. Like I need, I love Zoas, so I need them all. And I need to know that my, like that I have a different one coming, you know, and that like orange ring zoanthids, there are so many and they do vary you know everyone will be like oh they're eagle eyes they're not they they could be wham and watermelons or um like or uh johnny apple seeds or wh whatever name they are funny names i i do laugh when i hear some of these names um but i think for people like me who really care about the difference like well that one has a green line mouth and that one has a white line mouth and that one has alternate frill you know it's really important for people like me uh not everyone has that collector mania some people just want a beautiful reef tank with giant corals and that's cool and that's fine and and the same way i think that some people hate on the names i'm allowed to like love on the names you know and and and, and that's okay um but i have never really made any up or maybe a handful but only because i was forced um and i i'm definitely much 
it's a much more relief to me if we find uh, a new, say, wild strain, of, um, say, a, a Montipora hitchhiking on the side of a Lobo, um, and then we find it in the US already on Google. Like, that gives me a lot of relief. You're going, oh, thank gosh, someone else has already named it. I'll just call it that, you know. Um, and a good example with um, Jason Fox, Jack O'Lantern, for example, right? So we can't import corals into Australia. Um, so we, I think what I needed to tell people at this conference was you can't be calling your Jack O'Lantern Leptoceras a JF Jack O'Lantern, right? Like it's disrespectful in some way to Jason Fox because he didn't grow it. He didn't, that's not from him, you know? Um, and then you're kind of cashing in on this, on his name, on his um popularity I guess and and so and we got ours from the divers at Cairns Marine you know um it came from the ocean um so it's totally okay I think to call it a jack-o'-lantern but it's not okay to call it a JF jack-o'-lantern um and and so yeah me trying to explain that to this crowd where I knew there was a number of people watching that were really anti-naming I was pretty nervous um but it came across okay and um and I think that there's a place for it. I just, that elevator pricing thing really gets me. I don't, I don't like Yeah, it. you know, what's going on in the U.S. also, not only with the name game, but there's um, there's a lot of doctoring going on with photography, right? So a lot of corals are, are being taken under heavy blue lighting, and so the fluorescence really comes out. And so you've got, like, these crazy names and, and these crazy photos and, uh, you know, that's kind of like gets pe- people into a fever pitch and, and the prices just are, like, are insane for some of the corals with, yeah. with the, you know, with the names and, and the, um, and the photographs like that. We really do. And, um, thank goodness some of the coral, uh, the phone and camera filters have made some advancements. Um, they're, they're, they're producing far more realistic photography, but it's really up to the seller to, tone down those blues and, you know, add a bit more white um, to take those more realistic photos. And and I've trialled both systems. And initially when we were really new, people would be pretty negative um, about photography either way. They'd be like, um, the colours are washed out or you wouldn't make as many sales. Or if they're, if they're really blue, they'd be like, yeah, Smurf hands, you know. Um, but I, I really think it is wrong um, to... Photoshop, you know, to like to really to push saturation or something. The coral is beautiful just as it is, you know, even under yellow light, it would be stunning. And then if you if you err on that direction as a seller, your customer is going to be really impressed when they unpack it, put it under their lighting and like, wow, look at that orange, you know. And and then what you're aiming for then is I guess repeat sales, right? Yeah. It's not a moment where like it, it turns up and you're like, this is brown, what? Um, which just doesn't fly here in Australia. The community is way too small. Uh, there aren't anywhere near as many vendors. So, you know, um, and you just get shunned, you know, if if that turned up like that. And uh, I guess you could always fall back and say, oh, well, your KH is higher or, like, your lighting made it brown or, or whatever. I, I, a lot, uh, a, a common reality, thing is, like, well, you know, the coral is going to lose color when, when it's shipped. You know, that's, like, a common uh, thing. It's like, come on, you know. I think that uh, if it's shipped correctly and, and, and what have you. I'm, I'm a big advocate of, uh, you know, taking videos, photos under full spectrum lighting. If it looks good under full spectrum, 
then you know what you're getting. And if you like the blues, then you're going to see the fluorescence pop in, in whatever kind of coral you're going to get that goes under fluorescence. But I think that full spectrum lighting should, um, should be more uh, of the rule versus the exception. Totally agree. Totally agree. And, and I think that make that can be the difference between a really reputable coral vendor and one who may be just in it to make a quick buck. Um, I mean, if you're looking at a business model in a long-term perspective, then your reputation is everything, right? And so you have to, you know, we we provide a quality guarantee with everything we ship. So um, I've only ever had to do one refund one time, and it was because the parcel went missing five days. And actually, I'd done the refund, and it arrived, and everything was apparently okay, which was shocking. But um, but that that pressure to pack perfectly. It comes from us taking on that um, that quality, you know. That you, it, it has to look the same as when it left yeah. us when it arrived. Yeah. At the client, it just it has so important. It's imperative. If it loses color, um, then it's got stress during shipping, and then uh, that that you know that's that's sort of like on the uh, the coral vendor, right? It's unfortunate, but it is just something we have to absorb. Um, I mean, we use car activated carbon concentrated oxygen, triple bags, heat pack, ice pack, bubble wrap, newspaper, it's all there, you know, and, and I checked, I'm sure you do too. I check the weather at point of destination um, and, and you just have to be, I also take photos before I pack it, right, so that there's, there's it's a full transparency and I think, yeah, it takes a little longer. It's a little more steps, but, you know, and we don't charge for packing either. It's just absorbed in in the price um but we certainly appreciate all the support we get so you know of course we'll bend over backwards for our clients yeah you, know, you and i were talking uh, uh before when we were doing the uh the uh the test to make sure we had a good connection and whatnot uh yesterday or a couple of days ago and um yeah we we're talking about shipping and um do you know um chris meckley and, and men of meckley at aci aquaculture they're a, a big coral wholesaler down in florida um not personally, but I've seen I've uh, seen him online. Yeah. So they really know what he's a. I mean, yeah, Chris has been a guest a, on uh, a few times, and and they really know what they're doing. And and uh, so yeah, I mean, I was having a lot of issues with uh, UPS not um, making the deliveries on time. So um, you know, and and in those uh, instances where that happened, I you know there would be some coral losses. So to really hedge my bets. I wanted to kind of up my game in terms of shipping to make it about as bulletproof as possible. So if UPS drops a ball and they're late and, you know, not uh, delivering next day that, um, you know, the coral losses would be uh, minimized if, if, you know, none at all. So uh, yeah. I talked to Chris, I talked to some other uh, coral vendors and, and yeah, so I started, I had been using a, um, a bag sealer and just sealing bags with, with water, you know, the, uh, the tank water, but now I'm doing, <clears throat> Uh, oxygen, activated carbon, and um, uh, using bag clipper to uh, to seal the bag. So you know it's it's costing me more money because I'm using more water. The bags are bigger. I need bigger boxes. I need uh, I needed to yeah. spend money on a whole oxygen setup. But um, you know what? I think uh, it the the thing that you got to think about it. It's all about the animals, right? You want to like the animals to to um, you know survive if there is a hiccup on shipping. So that, yeah. That's what it should really be about. Yeah. I think it's important as a buyer too to really, uh, like I, I understand that sometimes couriers can 
it's, it's out of our hands, right? Like what happens between us and, and the client and the end user. But I think it's important to support the businesses that are providing that guarantee on arrival, at least. There are some uh, fraggers here that send out corals with a one-week guarantee even, you know, um, which I think is amazing. Um, I'm very fortunate that we've, like, no one's taken no one's taken advantage of that with us. We're like, they've never like said something died when it didn't, you know, um, which is obviously a, a big fear, but it, yeah, I think that it'd be, it's important for the hobbyists to support, um, you know, those people that really give them that backing, that guarantee. Yep. Yeah. So, all right, Anya, we're, uh, we've been talking for about an hour now. We haven't even shown the video of your shop. So sure. let me, um, let me start running that video. There's going to be a, um, Probably like a 25-second lag before you see it pop up. Are you still watching on your phone? I'm going to try and watch it on my phone. Yeah. Wait, so you, you shot this video, and uh, I haven't even seen it yet, so this is all fresh to me. But um, I guess what's... So um, I shot this one when we were shut two days ago. Um, so we've got our, our roller doors, which uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm lagging or not lagging. Sorry. But anyway, so it's a really small store, but we have it packed uh full of absolutely every kind of product that you would possibly want uh to do with reefing we do cater for freshwater as well um especially with our uh, salisbury store that's much larger than the winham store um however uh i actually couldn't change the lights out one of our staff members took the shop mobile phone home so mm. i couldn't focus on cameron's display but you can see the drums we're selling there for people to um Oh, yeah, to pick up. I realize if there's a lag, I'm not explaining myself well. Sorry. No, no, um, it's, 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 anyway. that's fine. Go for it. Cool. All the brands are really well represented. You know, we have a giant shelf for Seachem, uh, Triton, Continuum, um, Ecotech, uh, what's around the side there, Red Sea. Um, we've got Coral Essentials, which is our Aussie, you know, we love uh, Coral Essentials. And um, we have two or three systems where we sell live coral. And the, at the top, we call it the live rock tank. It's quite funny our live rock tank hasn't actually had any live rock in it for well over five, six years, but we still call it that. And uh, we put giant rehome corals and really large soft corals in there. Um, so, and also, like, if something's a bit questionable, like we – we pop it up there as like almost to quarantine it from our main two selling systems. So you can see, um, or you will be able to see, uh, I'm a zoanthid nut, and that was our, our premium zoanthid rack there. And uh, I have a bit of coral OCD with curation. Usually, um, I uh, we haven't hadn't restocked the shop. We're getting orders today, so this is about as low as the really? shop kind of gets. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, we we because the prop room is under construction. Construction. Um, it's a little different at the moment. We're doing the fragging and putting it directly in the store, which um, is good and bad. I mean, there's nothing. I have no other choice. But um, it also doesn't allow for me to do a lot of propagation at one time. Where usually I make three hundred frags in one session, and so. I gloss over Cam's display because it's way too blue, but it's a heavily um, dominant SPS dominant display and it's gone through a whole ream of different um, 
ups and downs, you know, and this little red sea tank is uh, what we call, it's my display, it's called the stash tank. And uh, one of my favorite SBS corals is actually Leptoceros. And uh, I, um, in the prop room, hoard quite a lot of different colors of Leptoceros. It's not a very popular coral here. We sell it for $15 a frag and it barely moves, but um, it's just, I just love the diversity and the fact that it's low light. Um, I love Montipora as well. I'm really loving Acro at the moment as well, but you know, I, I, I can't say I've got a favorite coral, there's so many. Um, and I love, I'm obsessed with Rhodactus, these ones we call um, Persian rugs. So the bottom left side of my display tank is my Rhodactus hoard. Um, some of them are bouncing, some aren't. I just love the really fuzzy ones. Um, and so uh, we have uh, this giant red Monty scroll just like taking over. Um, and uh, everyone's saying, oh, do I take it out? Do we leave it? And I have not got time for my display tank at the moment, so we're just kind of leaving it for now. Um, so on the other side um, of that solar system is where I'm watching now. So there's like scalemia or, you know, homophilia, some soft corals. Um, there, uh, there's our bagging station down in the guts. So uh, that little aisle gets quite uh busy um because that's where we're bagging all the stock and then customers want to come see um the fungi and the goni and the monty uh frags are all around there too i don't know why i've just not shown the monty okay um sorry and so anyway next system we call the sbs system even though it has lps2 and uh we've got you know our hammer corals a whole range of seriatopora um, I love the diversity of business corals and uh, I think they're like a perfect beginner SBS coral. Um, so they're $10 uh, for these really nicely grown out frags, which is great. Um, and we've got like, you know, the bird of paradise and fancy ones for $30. And I even have Seriatopora dendritica, which um, Reef Builders did a beautiful article on by surprise, fully sent this photo to Jake and like woke up at five in the morning and there was this article amazing um yeah and so then that's where the low light SPS is which I gloss over real quick and our goni opera and uh the gonies uh recently went through a big like trend um say a year ago and particularly glitter gonies um and there's so much diversity in Australian goni opera that it was like this rabbit hole that if you went down, you'd end up buying a whole new setup just to have all the gonies. Um, and it's funny because they were once considered such a such a challenge to yeah. care for. Yeah. My first job, uh, it, my boss used to say with the gonies, um, you have to tell the customer that they need to feed every mouth and if they <laughs> don't, it will die and it'll die anyway. And so they're going to basically buy another one in six months. I just like it. Uh, mind-blowing to think where we've come today with caring for these you know i think they can live indefinitely really what, what, so um, what's been the key in terms of the difference the uh, today versus years ago sorry what, what's been the difference in terms of the success of being able to keep ghanis and albiopora versus years ago yeah I, you know just incredible told me a line that i think about a lot he uh, designed the gonio power the food uh, that tlf sells and he said Gonies are like SPS, like acro with long polyps. They respond well to an elevation of KH. Um, they appreciate more flow than people give them. And um, they're surprisingly hungry. 
and they need a different particle size of food. So most people use like very fine powdered foods, which is okay. Um, or you could use live plankton, which is okay. But um, that gonio power has like almost flakes in it. And um, the feeding response is quite impressive there. And so I think with Goni, our understanding has improved so much more um, with, you know, the onset of just more knowledge and, and technology um, and also monitoring. We, we're, we're testing more and we have more information about the relevancy of stability as well. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. So I don't know where we're at on this video, but I must have quickly glossed over the fish system. Uh, and uh, of course, you can just see all Australian fish except for something like that yellow tang is a rehome. Um, and what I'm seeing now is uh, the van and the salt yeah, yeah. truck. Which... Yeah, we saw already. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't know whether you had anything yeah. behind I didn't that. Know you had anything behind that. Um, well, I'm not, I'm not a video editor, right? So I didn't do so well with I that. Think I, missed, I think I missed these clips there. But it's, it's okay. It's okay. I, I think um, we're, I really uh, I, do you have a train, uh, wanted, do you have a train going through the depot right now? Because you and I were talking about this and all of a sudden I'm hearing some feedback and you said that whenever a train comes through the, uh, the station that your internet goes to crap. Correct. Yeah. Um, it doesn't usually last very long, but it will correct once I hear a honk, like the train going honk. <laughs> uh, and uh, it hasn't honked yet, but I'm sure any minute now. I guess, um, remember in our trial, it was, it, the, the train runs every half an hour and it happened at half past and, um, or something like that. So yeah, it would make sense. Um, all right. So the fish <laughs> system, the other thing that um, I noticed were the acros in there and um, you had some colonies that obviously were, were, were taken from local waters there and, and prices were 30, 40, 50, 60 bucks for a colony, an acro colony. Yeah, yeah, that's and then sixty dollars is pretty high to be honest. Um, those colonies that were left, so we hadn't received an Acropora order in maybe two or three weeks, so it's not a fresh order. We would usually get twenty pieces per order because you can see we can't really house a lot more than that. Um, and some of them often come in like quite large. Um, the small ones are of course cheaper, and and then the larger ones sometimes um, certain collectors. They, because since social media, like they can follow the trends too, right? And so if they see someone selling something for an exorbitant amount of money, then naturally the price will elevate. And um, it's like a, a cycle. They're like, oh, wow, they got that for it. Well, now ours is this. And, and it sort of, you know, creeps up. Um, and we, uh, we definitely have been getting smaller and smaller wild colonies. Um, since the quotas changed, um, but and we've certainly intensified um, trading Acropora frags with hobbyists too, um, because I really feel that captive-grown SPS is you know the way of the future, and they're hardier, and you can even get away with fresh-cut frags with a captive-grown colony um, that may potentially be so many generations away from that wild collected piece. Um, the downfall with the wild pieces um, is, of course, the potential for Acropora eating flatworm. Um, when the wholesalers, um, they sell a hole, it, it actually comes with rock underneath. So it's like a whole acro colony. It's quite rare. So you might need to order uh, 10 or 15, you know, fragments to get one or two um, holes. Um, and it used to be the trend that the holes would um, sell first 
amongst acropora hobbyists and they'd rush to get like that one piece because they know it's unique and it's its own genetic entity. Um, whereas now I just see like these amazing wild pieces are coming in and acro guys are grabbing the frags, you know. Um, they're more inclined to pay $60 for a little frag of a blue tenuous um, than that whole wild piece was 65 or whatever. So, That's crazy. Um, and it's crazy. It is, yeah. It, well, it is. it's it's, it's good. Interesting. To, well, maybe perhaps some of them are buying the whole colony and then chopping it up. I don't know how uh, you know common that is there, but uh, there are chop shops I know here. Um, you know what? One 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 coral I saw in the video, which is so cool, frags of it, the uh, pink bird's nest. I think that is that is a coral that um, seems to have like lost its luster here. You don't see it a lot, and uh, I think that's just a, a gorgeous, gorgeous coral. It's just bright, bright pink. Yeah, I used to have I used to have a few colonies in my uh, display tank, and uh, it was one of my favorites. So that was pre pretty cool to see a whole bunch of um, pink birds nest frags in in one of those. Um, yeah, tanks. and they're not selling, you know, they're just not popular. Ten dollars, ten dollars for this beautiful little mini colony, and I guess when we have them displayed under the blue, they're really heavy blues. Um, there's Gen Five radions above that system, and. Uh, it, you don't see that prominent pink until like in the middle of the day where, where the whites are, are more dominant. But um, there are still plenty of hobbyists out there that are keeping that whiter light. Um, and of course, especially the SPS keepers um, where bird's nest should kind of belong, I suppose. But uh, yeah, we, we try and spruik it. And the other one that I wasn't able to film well is the Pusillopora, the mm. Pocky. Um, that's ten dollars as well, and there's a huge diversity in the different colors of pocky too. And it's funny when people say, "Have you got SPS frags?" and they only asking about Acropora, but there are so many different genus of SPS corals. I'm like, "Yeah, did you want Leptoceras, Stylocoeniella? Do you want Montupora, Samacora? We've got Seriatopora. Like, there's so many, so many. We don't really get Anacropora here. Mm. Very rarely." Um, but yeah, uh, I, I try and educate people that so like SPS does not equal acro. There's more going yeah, on yeah, there. For sure. But, so, uh, Anya, uh, there's been a few comments about fragging. I mean, you're obviously, uh, a, an expert in terms of, uh, fragging. I, I saw one comment that you could create a hundred frags, um, I don't know, in a matter of minutes there, but, um, Bert <laughs> Minshew had a specific question about, um, the, um, the chalice frag experiment with and without eyes and slash mouse did did any live with the mouth mouse slash eyes i think and then there was some other chatter in the uh, or comments in the chat about uh, the difference between mouths and eyes and i guess there is no difference from what i'm reading in the uh, the chat can you can you kind of give us the uh, the story about the chalice frag experiment and how it turned out yeah yeah sure um i actually forgot i did that so thanks for reminding me um so in the frag files, the, the propagation, the coral propagation series that we film in the prop room, um, we do try and just make it a little, like it's a little bit like a cooking show, it feels like. Like here are the, here's the recipe, here's my ingredients and this is what we're doing. But we try and have like a fun running experiment going through it as well uh, while we're doing it. And I've always wondered why certain chalice frags did or didn't survive. Um, the having the mouth definitely makes a huge difference however if you if you're able to cut enough of 
the base uh, of the tissue, the photosynthetic capacity, it can generate enough energy to then create a mouth. And once it's got the mouth, it can swallow food. And so it's able to assimilate nutrition a lot more efficiently. And so you get that exponential kind of growth once you have a mouth. And so if you're able to have a mouth in your cut, you're kind of winning. Even half a mouth. Half a mouth works really well Hmm. too. Um, I used to be quite apprehensive with cutting through mouths with LPS, but uh, sometimes it happens by mistake um, unintentionally, but uh, that's okay. You know, half a mouth is is probably better than no mouth. Um, I believe from that experiment we had like a 20% loss on the frags with no mouth. Mm. And uh, I don't often sustain any losses. And I'm being honest, we, we really don't lose corals um, or frags, frags. Um, because we take so much care with um, every level of, of fragging and, and then their growth. But um, there have been cases, like we've got this really rare chalice in GAMS display. I think it's very similar to the Jason Fox Goldmeister, um, which on Google just has so many different names. Um, and that is one really confusing part about names when multiple vendors have the different name for the same thing. I wish that there was like a, a board, like a panel of like decision making, like a, a database or something where this is this name and let's just stick to it, you know. Um, I, I really wanted to write a book about zoanthid identification um, before I had our son. That was like my life goal um, for this very reason. And I wanted to provide different photos under different lighting of every single zoo variant um, and all the distinguishing features down to the very like microscopic detail so that people would have this guide, but it's a very niche market of who would buy that book. But, you know, it it could happen one day. Um, Back to the point about um, mouth versus eye. Um, now it, corals don't have eyes, um, as a description, it's very common for, um, people to say, oh, you get three eyes with that. Um, but, and this is a point that Jake so perfectly, um, would tout that, you know, corals don't have heads, they have mouths. So when you say, oh, it's a three head torch, that's improper language. And um, I fear with um, the loss of Jake that that will be lost too. Um, so I'm going to um, really put it out there too, um, I guess, as his legacy to like, you know, corals don't have eyes, they can't see, they have mouths and um, and um, and they don't have heads. Hmm. It's, it's, it's hard when you constantly say heads, yeah. right? I, I do um, but he's right. He, he was right. And, um, and yeah, so I, I get it when you're like, oh, it's an orange eye chalice because it looks like eyes, right? And, and it's a very descriptive term. So I, it's not like I'm going to get upset about it or anything, but I think, um, yeah, that's the whole story about the mouths and eyes. <laughs> well, you know what? I think, um, you know, I think Jake was all about also just being, um, you know, trying to be true to the uh, to the uh, reality as as possible. I think he was also a uh, he was a big advocate in terms of using scientific names, right, to um, to identify yeah. corals. So that was like another thing that he was uh, certainly a big advocate of. Um, what about um, 
So Anya, I, don't, I, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the show that um, you know I, I learned how to frag a, uh, a Ghani by watching one of your videos. And somebody uh, mentioned here, uh, Franklin uh, Dayton. Dayton. Uh, we want more uh, Anya in the Gallery Aquatica's uh, videos. I get. I yeah. I didn't see a lot of you in the last uh, year well, or so. I, honestly, I. Oh, yeah, I guess you don't have to answer that question. I just you know there, there's there's a demand for you to be in more videos. That's all. That's very kind, and thank you. I will aspire to be on more videos. Um, it's kind of like a multi-pronged answer, which I'll just shorten. Um, I, I do get I get really really nervous being on camera. Um, come on, I, come on! I, I can't see that. Like I really I really do. Um, so. <laughs> this one reason um but the second reason uh the prop room is in shambles like we cannot we can't show you what's going on in there right now but i can still i can still do filming um of course in the shop it's a very pokey space which you may have noticed by my little video um and it's it's a hard space to put um to harry our camera guy has you know the tripod and all the gear and these lights and we have to we turn everything off because of the noise and you know and and it's not a problem it's not not too much of a problem but it's not easy and like one of my favorite topics to talk about is ketomorpha for example um so i've got like all these ideas of videos that i really want to put across but um executing them in that space is actually really difficult we've tried to film that keto one before and like i lie down on the ground at the refugiums and like you can't get the, the <laughs> angle right and can't show and then we can't fit and like it's all i'm just like god damn it we can't do this it's not working and so we move on to something a little easier but um the other thing our camera guy has been so blessed he uh bought himself a huge farm two and a half hours drive away or whatever it's ages away Ooh. lucky guy he owns horses and you know all that but he is now um far more limited with when he comes into town right so he's actually been filming with cameron um on this one trip a week um for quite some time now and it's been a multitude of reasons as to why i'm not available that day i'm usually packing corals um it's uh, we freight on mondays and tuesdays only and uh we do have a, a great team uh, but i am the only one who's really um they're doing that um, aspect of our business. And uh, because, you know, the guys need a day off too, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the retail is open Thursday to Sunday, but we've got the maintenance during the week and the water deliveries and there's so much going on. And, um, and yeah, so I, I, I reckon. You um, <laughs> might be seeing more of <laughs> you. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> um, by the way, I'm not sure I mentioned this, but the uh, the video of the store was just unbelievable in terms of the animals that you had in there. For, for, first of all, I can't believe that uh, you you were saying that it was uh, pretty low stocked in terms of uh, you're you're waiting for oh, more yeah. corals to come in. But uh, just the health and and the uh, the vibrancy, the colors on those corals was just uh, mind blowing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, we uh, we really try and like I'm very. Uh, a very good um, feature of my personality is that I, I'm, I'm well versed in coral curation, and uh, I don't know if I don't know if I have OCD or what. Like I don't know what it is, but I, it's the levels because uh, we, we're dealing with such a small space. We can just pack so much in because we have such a confidence when it comes to coral compatibility, and um, I, I, I often wonder like what would happen if we had this expansive space where I just had all the space in the world, 
how would I design displaying that, you know, because it's morphed to be what it is um, due to our constant, under, like, learning about coral compatibility. And, um, yeah, I, I think without the levels and the different racks and things, we certainly wouldn't be able to jam so much in. Um, but it works and uh, it, it's really impressive when, uh, new clients walk through the door and you just see their beaming face and they're like, whoa, <laughs> didn't realise this place would have all this stuff, you know, um, which is really, really nice, nice feedback. Yeah. Um, a quick curious, curious question for me. How many reefers do you think there are, reef keepers there are in Australia? What would you say? Any idea? Wow. I don't know. Um, one of our most popular Facebook groups is uh, called Marine Aquarium Fanatics Australia and uh, or MAFA we call it and because you know we shorten everything in Australia so um it's uh I think it has 10,000 people um and Shane uh Danger who's um who I think you should have on your show Jake um, Jake recommended uh Shane and uh no, no. we have been back and forth so hopefully I can get him on yeah he's awesome he's one of my best friends we have the same birthday like, all right then can you kind of like nudge him a little bit to come on the show I think he's yeah, I think he was yeah. a little hesitant Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. I'll nudge him. Thank you. Um, he's got he's a wealth of. I mean, he's propagating corals that are just. He cuts scullies. He's cut scullies into eight. You know? Really? He cuts sardines. Like what? You know? He and it, and it works. And and actually, on the on the back end of the chalice question, that is something that is becoming very popular in Australia because of Shane Danger. That so Shane works at Coral. And by the way, that's a, that's an awesome name. You know. With the what? I said, by the way, that is an awesome name, Shane Danger. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it is. And so uh, Shane, um, there's many reasons why I think that name suits him. Uh, so anyway, um, Shane, <clears throat> the company that Shane works for, it, it um, produces supplements. And one of their unique blends, it's called uh, CBE, and it's not an amino. It's it's um, not not a foundation. It's not trace elements. It's it's they call it the juice. Like it's it's anyway. It's developed over a number of years now, and you used to have to buy it in three separate bottles. And it enhances exponentially enhances the coloration on your corals. It isn't cheap, right? So it's a hundred dollars a bottle, three packs. So it's three hundred dollar investment to begin. And since they've now invented, I'm just trying to see if I've got a bottle. Um, they've now invented um, CVE plus, which is like all three in one with some water, you know, so it's diluted down. And now it's become far more accessible to far more hobbyists because it, the price point, it's so much cheaper. Anyway, anyway, so the trend at the moment in Aussie reefing is if you cut a coral or some coral is damaged from being stung or transit stress or, you know, that can happen. You soak it in the um, chroma, which is the, the chroma and the vi 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 oh my god, vitacam, vibrant, vi vibrant. Oh. C and the V, like the separate bottles, and it it's like one hundred percent guarantee that this is going to work. Wow. And I think that where if you cut chalice with no mouth and you use the chroma and vibrance. Uh, vibrance, yeah, uh, then you will have 100% success. Um, I've seen like scullies, um, the collectors, they, 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 
they get them with chisels and sometimes they're very thin and they come cracked um, in the wholesale facilities. And of course, I'm lucky enough, I can drive to a number of these coral wholesalers and actually see these facilities to pick out orders. Wow. I'm very, very lucky. Um, and often, you know, they'll like throw you a bone and they'll be like, oh, I got these cracked ones. Do you want to do something with them? You know, and yeah, yeah. Soaking them in this product, it's, it's miraculous. It really works, but you have to do it every day or at least like every second day. Some people that are trying to rescue like a master grade scholar for a grand or whatever, they do it twice a day, but it works really well. And, uh, of course they, they won't they, they don't need to release what's in it, but we don't know what it is. We just know what it's not. Um, but the results speak for themselves um, when it comes to that. Um, why was I talking about Shane? This like I went somewhere there. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, something about Shane. Uh, mm, yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, I think. Uh, He's what would you say? He's great. <laughs> yeah, definitely a nudge him for me, but. Um... How many reefers are in Australia? Yeah, yeah, that was the question. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's where I got with that. So Shane is the admin of this group uh, that's like grown, and and he writes articles, and he's written for reef builders, and um, he's just such a character, you know, and um, and he he's been he's been doing like frag days, Maffa frag days, where like we don't have events, reefing events like you guys do. Um, we have reef stock and a, a pet expo and, you know, um, there was like a frag stock for a little bit before COVID, but like, we really don't have those events that you, those frag swap meet yeah. things that you guys have, which is a real shame. Yeah, that's surprising. All right. Like just get us all together and let's talk coral. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I think, uh, numbers I've heard in the United States is there's about a million people that, um, have, uh, reef tanks. I don't know how accurate that is. But um, that's a number I've heard before. Who knows? That's, that's incredible. That's a hard number to yeah. come up with, I guess. Well, uh, Anya, I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna keep you uh, much longer. I know you've got a a full day ahead of you there, even though it's Friday, and and um, you know yeah. I, I know you got stuff to do. You're a very busy person. But uh, any any final thoughts before we uh, sign off for the night well, morning? Really wanted to say thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. It's such a privilege being on your show. I'm I'm so grateful that we could come together at a time that, you know, neither of us have to be awake at some silly hour. Um, and, uh, I really look forward to watching the rest of your shows as well. And I'm really going to kind of snoop on you and, and I want to find out all the acros and, and frags that you're selling. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to do that, but uh, I can't wait. I'm going to go check out your coral. Coral photos are like my biggest vice. Like I just love well-taken coral photography well you know what um, i do for, so for each one of my frags i take um videos of the mother colonies so um, it's uh, oh, that's yes. a way i try to like really represent what i'm uh, what i'm selling you know and uh, try to be as realistic as possible those posts are always the popular ones uh, around mother's day i do like a mother and son or you know something like that and uh gee they're popular i mean because it it's it's totally different once you can see something grown out you know that other than because you can get some really misrepresented coloration on on frags um which is both good and bad <laughs> um yeah yeah i i can't thank you enough keith and um thank you for sharing those beautiful words from jake it really means a lot to me yeah you know yeah you're the best part he when he said something he really meant it like yeah yeah no that is uh that you just is love you know and sometimes he was brutal but 
I, we needed that. We need that. We needed that. Yep. And, um, yeah, yeah, he was um, he was a he was a very genuine, real um, person. He said what was on his mind, and and that's um, something that um, some sometimes people don't like to hear that stuff. But um, you know, I think uh, I love I love I need, I want to know. You know, if you have something to say, yeah, just say. Yeah. I'd much very good. Well, Anya, we've uh, we've really enjoyed having you. Bert Minshew was saying we, we need to have you back on the uh, the show, so we'd love to have you back on because I there was a whole bunch of questions. I didn't really get to my questions. You know, it's just like we uh, we chatted for about an hour and a half, and we had some questions. I didn't even get to ask a lot of the questions from the uh, from the viewers, and I apologize. But um, we'll uh, sorry, I we'll get you, we'll get you Thank back you. on. And ha and so, folks, yeah, if you're in uh, Brisbane, uh, Australia, please stop by Gallery Aquatica. And, um, they, and, and if you don't make it to Australia, check them out on, uh, on YouTube and you guys are on Instagram as well as Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. We have an Instagram. The YouTube is like, uh, Cameron's baby. You know, we put out a video every Wednesday, our time Wednesday. I think that's Tuesday for you. Um, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely endeavor to get a few more, uh, bit more airtime on that. Cool. But, Looking uh, forward to seeing you. All right, Anya. Well, listen, thank you again so much for being on the show. And I also want to thank both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for sponsoring the live stream. And I also want to thank all you folks out there for tuning in and watching. Um, finally, a big thank you to Paul, who was the uh, the moderator and is also the president of the Boston Reefer Society. Please join and support your local reefing clubs. They are so important to this hobby in the United States and I'm sure around the, uh, the globe. I also want to let you know that all episodes of Wrapping with Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. I mentioned this uh, earlier in the show. <clears throat> My next episode of Wrapping with Reef Bum will be another good one next Thursday, December 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with both Mike Paletta and Dr. Sanjay Yoshi. So that should be another awesome discussion. The uh, full upcoming schedule of guests is available on reefbum.com in the YouTube section. Until next time, be safe, be well. Later.